God has spoken. Understand Asa Shaman. Last August, uh, I did the message you're about to hear. I studied for it. And I, I've been praying and praying over this. Um, I'm praying it comes out with the grace and the kindness and the truth that you need to hear from, from the story and from the Bible. And so I'm going to ask you to pray with me right now. And I'm going to ask you to tune in. Uh, it, it is a little bit, well, it's heavy. It's heavy. It's needed. Um, there's a, the beginning of it. I think people study scripture and miss that section. Uh, and what it's saying. So I, I want you today to know it. Um, so let's pray. Father, I was so excited last night, the number of people that found freedom and healing and hope in you. I'm praying that's going to happen now. I pray, oh God, that you're going to stir in our hearts and open our minds and bring your truth to us, and we're going to embrace it. We're going to see the whole truth of Scripture in this. We're going to see your love and your healing and how it can actually take place. We're going to see some warning signs. And oh, I pray right now that we would all pay heed to them, but especially those who more than ever are in the midst of it, that they would grab this truth and allow you, Lord, to change them from the inside out and, and, and transform them into the, the people you want them to be to live a life that is a blessing. So I ask that you guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I want to tell you that I believe the message, number one, applies to all of us, but let me even get more specific. I think it applies to anybody here who uh, is dealing with some of these issues, and I'm praying this becomes an, a meaningful time for you to understand God loves you, that you matter to God, and he cares about you and wants you not to be caught in a life that's less than what God wants it to be for you. I think there's another group of you here. You need to hear this message so you can share it with someone else. And, and so I'm going to ask you to take notes big time. If you say this doesn't apply to me, then God wants you to hear it, to share it with someone else. Now, the other thought I want you to have is this. I think all of us need to take these warnings. Now, there isn't a person in this room this doesn't apply to me, you, all of us together. And, and by the way, here's where we're going. David is one of the most incredible men who's ever lived. And if David was taken down and his life suffered, suffered tragically because of this. Well, if that happened to David, then you and I need to pay a special attention. And I'm not, by the way, David, I do not want to have us put him in a bad light. God wants us to see how human he was, how real his life was, and yet in the end, how God moved in him. Now, I have not uh, made it a secret that, that the, probably the greatest love of my life beyond my wife, Pam, and of course the Lord, is my grandchildren. And, and I love my grandchildren, and I am so blessed that two days a week, Liam and Eleni get to be with us, and if you don't know who they are, uh, they're the cutest kids on the planet, you've missed out not seeing them. Um, but Liam is three years old, Eleni's two, and then we get a special blessing on Wednesday, uh, Malachi, who's one of my godchildren, is over, he's one, so we have a three, two, and one-year-old, and, and every week we get to experience the joy of them in our house. I study at home on Wednesdays. 
and I always take breaks to go out and play with them, which just invigorates me and lights me up. But I got to tell you that, that there's always a, a, a routine that occurs. I'll come walking into the kitchen area and the back door will be wide open. And so I say, guys, close the door. And, and they love to run in and run out. And I'm like, guys, close the door. And, and then I'll say, come on, God, you know, Eleanor, close the door. Liam, and, and it's like, I know that they think that's what Papa just always says. But here's what happens, and you already know this. That living in the area we live in, that because they do that, because they leave the door open, we'll sit down to have snack or we'll sit down to have lunch or an early dinner and flies start invading. And the kids are waving and hitting and mad and I don't want to eat that. A fly landed on it. And why are these flies in the house? And my answer is what? Because you left the door open. The only reason I want you to shut the door is I don't want the flies wrecking everything. By the way, are you ready for this? When you and I leave the door open, the Lord of the flies comes in. You're going to see how that applies in a minute, but it really is true. Uh, uh, before we moved to Corona, we lived in Chino Hills and near our house in Chino Hills is a swamp area that has one of the largest and most diverse populations of birds in all the United States, but especially Southern California. And so beautiful birds lived in that area. Well, one day I was bringing stuff in and out the house to a, our car to load it up. And, and all of a sudden I hear Pam scream and I run in and two little birds, I don't know what kind they were, but they looked like lovebirds are flying around our entryway. And we kind of had a high vaulted ceiling and they're going up and down and they're freaked out and scared and feeling trapped and they're banging into the wall and banging into the windows and they see a window and fly into it and see it. And Pam is literally, I mean, she's crying. They're gonna die. They're gonna hurt themselves. Chuck, you gotta do something. And, and then they land on kind of a window that's high up and they start dro making droppings on my wall. She's concerned for the birds. I'm concerned for the wall. <laughs> and, and so you know what? As I'm getting a broom and waving and they're bouncing and hitting and she's going, don't hurt them. And I'm thinking, I just got to get them out. And finally they go out, probably very injured. <laughs> and um, here's the point. When you leave the door open, you and, you're not the only one who suffers the consequence. In my case, little birds did. And in and, and some of our cases, even people we love get hurt by it. David left the door open and lots and lots and lots of people got hurt beyond him. Now, now, what's the idea of a door? Well, it's interesting that Solomon, David's son, who was one who suffered because David left the door open. One who had great pain because David left the door open. Solomon begins to talk about the the a wonderful virtue of not being someone who has an open door. He does that in Song of Solomon where he's talking about the girl that he loves and how she prepared for a life of purity and he is just so uh, uh, wanting to honor that. And so in Song of Solomon, if you're there, chapter eight, verses eight to 10, in this beautiful poem, uh, what happens is her brothers begin to speak about her and how they helped her stay pure and be pure for the day that she would come to meet the man of her dreams. And it says this, we have a little sister and she has no breasts. Now what this means is she has not started puberty yet. She hasn't started maturity yet. She's a young, young girl. And so they said, what shall we do for our sister on the day she's spoken for? How can we help her be ready on that day she will fall in love? How can we make sure she doesn't enter life impure and damaged and hurt and in pain? 
How can we make sure she has the purity she would want to have, God would want her to have? That's what they're saying. So in verse 9, they said, if she is a wall, if she's a wall, we'll build on her battlements of silver. But if she's a door, we will barricade her with planks of cedar. Now, did you catch that? If she's a wall, which means that men aren't going to be able to get through to her. They're not going to be able to sexually use her or violate her, uh, uh, even by her own choice, by the way, because she's a wall. She's chosen purity. And they said, we will honor that. We'll put battlements of silver on it. But if she's a door, and what's the door? Solomon's illustration. If she would open up, to thoughts, to actions, to activities that would not be pure sexually, not be pure in holiness, then what are we going to do? We're going to slam that door shut and barricade it in with cedar. Now, now I want to tell you, if you're a father here, or by the way, I'm going to say me, a grandfather, man, we need to do that for our, all our grandchildren, boys and girls, but especially girls. You know, you got to help them. You got, you, we're in a society that bombards them with impurity. And we got to say, you know, if we see any area where there's a door, then you know what we got to do? We got to put barricade that door and make sure no guy can hurt them or harm them in any way. That means, guys, I think you buy guns. <laughs> my son Tim posted this. My son Tim, who's got, you know, Ellen, he's gorgeous. And he said, uh, guns don't kill people. Dads with dirty, pretty daughters kill people. Uh, <laughs> You know, but, but that's what the brother said. We, we're going to make sure she has not an open door. Listen to what she says about herself in verse 10. She says, I was a wall and my breasts were like towers. And then I became in his eyes as one who finds peace. She said, because I was a wall, because I didn't open the door to impurity, then I, I found God moving in my life in such a way that I fell in love with the man of my dreams. And we were able to have that relationship he always wanted. That's what this is saying. You know, it's interesting how vital this was to Solomon. Why? Because his father violated it. David opened the door to the enemy. He opened the door to the Lord of the Flies. This led to dysfunction and disaster. Now, David was a man after God's own heart. Don't miss that. Acts 13, 22 tells us that. But I want to tell you, because he was a man after God's own heart, he was in the crosshairs of the enemy. In the upper story, God knew and looked at David and how much he mattered to the whole story that God wanted to accomplish, which, by the way, includes you and I in this overarching story. So down in the lower story, the enemy comes after him. And at First Chronicles 21, we're told Satan himself moved David to sin. But we see it in other ways. We see that he opened the door in four ways that invited disaster and hurt and pain into his life. And, and is, if David can have that happen, then you and I need to be careful too. We can't open the door to these things. We've got to be careful. So let's talk about that right now. How did David open the door? Number one, number one, this may surprise you, he used sex as a weapon. Number one, he used sex as a weapon. A lot of people don't get this. A lot of people misunderstand this section. But I want to tell you that, that today I know you're going to be able to walk out understanding it. What had happened, and I want you to be in 2 Samuel chapter 6, is David is about to have uh, the most incredible moment of victory in his life. 
Uh, what he had dreamed of, what he wanted to happen is about to happen. And, and this is a time he's celebrating like no other. And what it came about is this, is David desired because he loved God to have the ark of God in, in his presence. He wanted it in Jerusalem with him. Now it was a way away. And so David, David had decided to bring it to him, but he didn't study scripture and he didn't get good advice. And so what they did is they put the ark on a cart and God's clear in his word, it was never to be put on a cart. And they just decided to hurry it up and get it in. And as they're driving the cart in, it begins to tumble. And a man reaches out to steady the ark and God strikes him dead because only the high priest is to touch the ark. And the ark is only to be carried on poles, so this would never occur. And, and so this man struck dead, and David is horrified by this. And he cries out. He's angry at God. He's angry at everybody. He's angry at himself. And he thinks, what am I going to do? And he's afraid of the ark. So they put it in the home of another man who the blessings of God start coming down. And David starts hearing how blessings are coming because the presence of God is there. And he wants to get the ark to himself. So he prays about it, studies scripture, gets advice, and he realizes they got to carry it with poles. So the day comes and they get the priests together and they put the poles in, they take it up and they walk six paces and no one dies. And David's so excited, he drops on the ground, worships God, makes an offering to God and then they take it all the way to Jerusalem. And as they're coming, the crowds are growing and the celebration is, is getting bigger and more exciting and more enthusiastic. And they get into Jerusalem and David now is worshiping God, it says, with all his might. And he's jumping and dancing and leaping into the air. And, and now we've got a, an issue coming. See, back then the men didn't wear pants, they wore robes. And so when David is jumping and spinning, his robe's going up in the air and coming down. And, and he wasn't wearing anything underneath. And uh, so, I mean, he's worshiping God, though. By the way, we do not worship God like that here. It's not okay. Not okay. And, and so he's doing that. Now, now, really no one cares except his wife. Um, but what happens is he's blessing everybody, praising everybody. He could not be more excited. And he gives gifts to everyone. And then this is where we come to. He's walking into his house, so excited, so up, so thrilled. And he wants to bless his family. And it goes wrong. Verse 20. But when David returned to bless his household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, and she, this is his wife, how the king of Israel distinguished himself today. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of his servants' maids as one of the foolish ones shamelessly uncovers himself. She said, you're a drunken fool. I could not be more embarrassed about you being my husband. I, I, and she attacks him. By the way, let me, let me say this. We, very first of all, should never, ever attack people. But let me be as clear as I can. Our timing also needs to be thought of. And I know and have watched and heard of the hurt and the pain of a husband who's had the most incredible day at work and he comes home trying to tell his family what happened and he gets attacked by his wife. She just shouts. For some reason, in his joy, she wants to take him out. And on those days, it hurts worse. It's always wrong, but on those days, it hurts worse. Uh, or, the, the, by the way, the student who is so excited and he walks in the door to tell how great their day was and boom, mom and dad let them know how unhappy they are in a certain area of their life. And those, those arrows, they, they go deep. Or the wife who wants to tell her husband and he doesn't even care or even worse, he attacks and, and maligns her. 
It seems in our own families, we tend to do that to each other. We, we tend to hear that happening. And by the way, let me say, it's always wrong. But in those moments, it can go so deep. And so here he is, so elated, and everybody's cheering for him. And she makes sure he, he knows what she thinks was so wrong. And David doesn't react well to this. See, a lot of people miss what we're about to read is not okay. What he does is not all right. Here is this woman who loves him. Here's a woman who risked his life for him. Here's this woman that, that he had made commitments to as his wife. And now, what is he going to do when she attacks him? He's going to attack back. And he's going to escalate it to a level that he never should. And so what happens, it says in verse 21, so David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me ruler over the people over Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord. Now, did you catch what he did? He attacked her family. Rather than dealing with the person in front of him he has an issue with, he begins to go after her family. He begins to take it to a new level. And, and by the way, there's never a time that's okay. And, and I, I, yet we do it. Isn't it interesting that, that this phrase, it's always surprising to me how this phrase is meant to be so mean-spirited and devastating when a husband looks at his wife and says, you're just like your mother. Her mother could be a saint, but you know what? For some reason, that's bad, <laughs> Right? You know why you're like that? Because that's how your family was, which, by the way, may have a realm of truth to it. But the idea is if it's meant to be cutting, and that hurts. So he goes after her family. By the way, you know, one, one of the people he's going after is her brother, Jonathan, who is his best friend. And, and he is attacking Jonathan, who also risked his life for him. Then what does he do? Verse 22. I will be more lightly esteemed than this and will be humble in my own eyes, but with the maids of whom you have spoken, with them I will be distinguished. He's saying, you know what? You may not love me, but there's lots of other women who do. And all those girls you think I embarrass, they want me. You know, the, the husband who walks in and his wife says, man, I, I just don't feel special. Well, you know, a lot of women at work with, I, they would have me. Why is he bringing that up? Why would he go there? And by the way, I want you to catch, he should not go there. It's not okay. When we're in those times of conflict, the Bible's clear we don't attack back. We don't trade evil for evil. Was Michael okay to do what she did? No. Was David okay to do what he did? Definitely not. We never trade evil for evil. We never trade attack for attack. Jesus, Jesus never did that. It says Jesus, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he was put into a place of suffering, he didn't threaten. And, and, and by the way, what does the Bible say? If someone slaps you on the right cheek, what are you supposed to do? Turn the other. He should have turned the other cheek. He should have realized her hurt. He should have realized the pain. He should have confronted, not, not, not attacked, but confronted the situation in a healthy way. But he doesn't do that. And, and, you know, in Proverbs 3, 3, it says, Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. In other words, outwardly and inwardly, be kind and truthful. So you don't evade the situation, but you don't, you don't go on the attack. But then he takes it to the level that opened the door. Here's where he goes. Verse 23. Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. 
Do you know what that's saying? He just ignored her and disassociated with her and refused to be with her as a husband is supposed to be. He would not be intimate with her and affectionate with her. He just decided, you know what? If you're going to say that to me, then you're gone. And for all intents and purposes, you're dead to me. I will never touch you. Here's what he did. He used sex as a weapon. He used sex as a weapon. By the way, the the Bible is clear. You're not to do that. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 5 says about sexuality between a married couple It says, stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so you may devote yourself to prayer and come together again. Now catch why. So that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, now, did you see that? There's only one reason we should not be sexually intimate with the person we're married to. It's because we've gone through a, a, a temporary time of prayer and fasting. And then we come right back together. In other words, God desires for couples to be intimate together. And we're never to use sex as a weapon. And and sex and playing games with this area of our life. And David's done that to her. And he literally forces her into uh, uh, an isolation and a pain and and a loneliness uh, uh, that she's never going to get over. And, And he's wrong to do it. When he does, by the way, he opens the door to disaster in his own life. Uh, If you're a married couple here today, please, please, don't ever do this. Don't ever do this. God's created the sexual experience between a married couple to be a beautiful time of communion and communication and sharing and intimacy. It's not about the sexual act. It's not about that consummation moment. It's better than that. It's this time of sharing love like you can't imagine. Uh, In Proverbs chapter 6, it talks about this. It says, drink water in verse uh, 15, or Proverbs 5, verse 15, Proverbs 5. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. In other words, don't don't be unfaithful to your spouse. Should your springs be dispersed abroad or streams of water in the streets? Let them be yours and yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Verse 19. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breasts satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress or embrace the bosom of a foreigner? Did you catch that? Be exhilarated always. God wants the intimate experience to be exhilarating. The Hebrew word there is intoxicating. And, and, And you need to know and I need to know that God commands this for our own good. It's a blessing to us. Uh, It's true that God has given every married couple the sexual intimacy gift as a wedding gift for you to share together. And too many couples use it in an inappropriate way, in an unhealthy way, or they just stop altogether. Uh, It it may be that that the man... The man has reached out to his wife and she said no and he's hurt by that and he just decides, all right, then I'm not going to touch you until you see me want it. I'm going to play a game with this. Uh, and a man, a husband withholding this gift, this, this experience from his wife happens again and again and again through hurt. It's always wrong. It's never okay. You know what we need to do? Rather than doing that, we need to deal with the issue and not use sex as a weapon. Uh, the wife who decides, you know what, all right, I'll just go ahead and have sex with you. you now, go ahead. Well, that's a weapon. There are, I don't know of a man around going, okay, that's great. That would make my life great if that's how you come towards me. And, and you know what, it's wrong. Or she says, no, you're not touching me. You see, here's what I want you to not miss. When God gave this gift to us, 
it was beyond the, the physical experience. It becomes a very spiritual and emotional one. See, there's almost nothing in life more important to your self-image than how your partner desires you sexually. I want to say that again. There's almost nothing more important to your self-image than how your partner desires you sexually. If you're a man and your wife doesn't want you, I mean, she doesn't want to touch you, she doesn't want to be with you, she, she doesn't desire you, do you know what that says to a guy? I mean, you're just, you've just deflated and destroyed and attacked in one of the most hurtful ways possible. And, and if you're a woman and your husband doesn't desire you and crave you and want to be exhilarated with you and you want to, man, that's hurt. That hurts. And, and here's what I want to say. I know, and I, I'm not trying to make this a very easy thing. If you're out there and you're a couple and you're dealing with this, you might say, Chuck, it's deeper than you think. This is the thing. I do know that. But I can say this with all, all clarity from Scripture. Get help. Don't just live that way. Get help. Don't be afraid or ashamed. Get help. There's, there's pastors who can direct you. We have counselors who can help you. We have ministries that can be with you. I'm just telling you, get help. And don't live like this and don't settle for this. You see, here's the thing is I know there are couples who go, you know, all right, we're Christians and this isn't just, you know, we, this isn't area that, that's working for us. So we'll just get by. No. No, you've opened the door there and, and, and God doesn't want you to open this door. He wants you to, to shut the door. How? By experiencing the intimacy that he wants you to have. And you, most of you here know the story of David. He's opened the door. Where pain is going to come and devastation is going to come. The first victim is his wife, Michael. So we need to make sure we don't use sex as a weapon. We need to choose to handle the sexual experience of marriage with the joy and the beauty that God wants us to have. And let me say again, that for specific situations, there's always an answer and always help. Always an answer and always help. And God's will can be done so you're intoxicated with one another. You're in love with one another. You're experiencing that. And, and, and God can do this. He can bring the healing and he can bring the people to help you. So he opened the door, number one, by using sex as a weapon. Number two, he opened the door the second way by focusing on what he should not. He focused on the wrong thing. That's what you write on your notes. He focused on the wrong thing. He opened the door the minute he did that. Now, now most of you know this story. It's one of the most famous in the Bible. But now we're a, a period of time after he's isolated Michael from him, which opened the door uh, to some things that he should never have allowed to happen. And in 2 Samuel 11, verse 1, it says, Then it happened in the spring at that time when the kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed in Jerusalem. Now the first thing I want you to grab is he's in a place he should not be. He's not where he should be. He's where he should not be. And whenever we're where we should not be, that's a dangerous thing. But worse than that, he's going to focus on what he should not have. Verse 2. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. He, right now, is focusing on what he should not. 
He is focusing. He is gazing. He is staring. He knows she's beautiful. He looks at her. He's enthralled by her. And by the way, I've heard some people do studies on this and say, well, Bathsheba should not have been out there. That's not the case. This is the time she should have been out there. David should not have been where he was. The other thing I want to tell you is this, is that I've stood on the walls he would have stood on. They are now doing an excavation of David's palace. And it's not that I didn't think it was this way, but wow, did it bring it to light. When you go to the Holy Land and you stand there, those walls right now are not even as high as they were. But on the walls right now, not as high as they were. They're way, 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 way up because you know why? The king would never live close to people. Right? He would be in a fortified palace so people couldn't get to him. So he's way high. And stand, Pam and I standing there together looked out and we could see where people would have lived. We could see people walking around and they were little. They were like this big. Now, what is my point? What was he? She was in the water. He couldn't really see her. He is having to look with everything he had to make this out. He wanted this so badly. He's going through extra effort to lust. And when he did that, he's opened the door. That, that, you know, we live in a society that bombards us with these images. So you and I need to quickly disassociate ourselves from that momentary thought and drive away the temptation and flee from it. But I want to tell you, David did not do what Job said to do in Job 31.1, where he said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then can I gaze at a young virgin? In other words, I'm just not going to look that way and stare that way and let those thoughts keep going. And David did that. By the way, here's the thing I want to get at. We don't want to open the door that way. Uh, sometimes we open the door because, you know, there's a certain magazine and you're, you're thinking, okay, I want to get that and I want to look at it and, 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 and I want to stare at it and I want to enhance it. And now, well, you know, I can go on the internet and see more like without that. Or maybe you're doing a search on their internet that you know will bring up a particular series of pictures. And if you go further and further and then we think no one will know, but you're opening a door. Or you're, you know, sitting there at night and you've got the cable or the satellite on and, and you're going high into the channels. And you might even say these words, I can't believe that's on TV. Just for anyone to see, oh, it's horrible, my kids will, and then you just keep looking and hoping to, and you're in a place you shouldn't be looking at things you shouldn't look at. Maybe it's a, a woman who decides, well, you know what, I'm gonna go with my friends to clubs. My husband doesn't wanna dance and it's a fun night with the girls and we're not going for that, but then you dress up as cute as you can and, and when a guy's looking at you, it feels good. And by the way, here's the scary thing. When you go, well, you know, it's just in my mind and nothing's happening. No, that's not true. It is in your mind and something's happening and you're opening a door. And it may lead to the same disaster David did. By the way, if it doesn't, you're still already in trouble. We just shouldn't be in places we shouldn't be. Looking at things we shouldn't look at, focused on the wrong thing. God doesn't want us to do that. And it's because God loves us and cares about us. Then David, by focusing on this, look back what it says again in verse 3. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is this not Bathsheba? Now catch this, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now you notice the first thing is, she's the daughter of one of your best friends. The daughter of one, and right there he should have said no. Then, she's the wife of Uriah, a man who, who you know, who loves you, who's risked his life for you, who's been valiant for you, another one of your best friends. She's the daughter of a best friend, the wife of a best friend. And by the way, we know she was the granddaughter of Iathophel, his most trusted advisor. Here's the thing, he knew her. 
He knew her. He was probably looking for her house. He already knew what she looked like. And, and he is inquiring about her. He's delving into this. And then it goes worse in verse 4. David sent and messengers and took her. And when she had came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. Verse 5. The woman conceived and she sent and behold, told David, behold, I'm pregnant. Now, it, it's just bad, bad, bad where he's headed. God tells us not to invite temptation or live with temptation, but to flee temptation. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, it says, flee immorality and every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. You know, there, there's a, a, a saying out there that really isn't true, and that is all sin is the same. Now, it's true that any sin, any sin, whether it's minor or great, can take you to hell. But it's not true they're all the same and not all the same in the eyes of God. And this idea of sexual immorality, God says, is a sin inside and outside. It, it's, a, it, it's a more powerful, more devastating one. And, and David's allowing this in, opening the door to this, will create hurt and pain in ways that people would literally be changed forever. And Bathsheba would be changed because she'd be pregnant. Uriah would be changed because he'd murder him. I mean, rather than admitting and, and, and facing the shame, he, he, he takes everything he can to cover it up and he ends up killing him. And he's so, so defiled in his conscience, he gives Uriah a note that would mean his death to take with him, knowing Uriah would not open it. He knew how good a man Uriah was. And a good man suffered because of this. Nathan, the prophet, comes and confronts him. And says, you know, you're the man. You did this. You, you, and you know, because of what you've done and you tried to do it privately, God will take it public. And the child will die. By the way, if you haven't caught it, that, that actually is one of the most gracious parts of the story. God would not let that child live with the shame on him every single day. He took him to heaven instead. But David's in pain. And David has done horrible things and David would lose his relationship with God. Now this is the thing I think that's probably we need to understand. This is a part where God's grace comes. David now knows he and God are not close. And this is actually a big, big deal. He knows they're not close. Uh, in Psalm 32, he said, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent my sin, about my sin, my body wasted away though my, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me and my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. He knew something was wrong. Now, the reason I think that's so important to grab hold of is David does have a heart for God. Is he perfect? No. Did he do the wrong thing? Yes. But you know what? In the end, he knew that he and God had a problem when he did it. That's where I get so concerned about people who say that they're Christians and they're in the midst of sin and act like they're okay with God. I've said it before, but I've had it happen at Crossroads, never before I came to Crossroads, more than once, where I've looked at someone and said, wait, you're committing adultery. And I'm so concerned about where you are with God. And I've had more than one person look me in the eye and say, oh no, God and I are fine. Now, I don't know what God they have, but it's not the God of the Bible. I know when I sin, God and I are not fine. Isaiah 59 says there's a separation between me and God in that moment. 
And I think we know someone who genuinely knows the Lord and the one who doesn't because when we blow it, when we sin, we know there's an issue. And a lot of people are deceiving themselves. In uh, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Those a fornicator is those who are committing premarital sex. If you're committing sex outside of marriage, you aren't okay with God. Uh, if you're committing adultery, you're not okay with God. Homosexuality, by the way, is not okay with God. Why? Because God loves you too much to have you live in that. Uh, uh, idolatry, adul- uh, uh, being, you know, uh, stealing. All, you're not okay with God in those moments. God cares about us too much to be okay with us in those times. And it says, don't be deceived. Don't trick yourself. Don't act like you're fine with God. The good news is, there really is good news here. David knew. He knew what it was like when he and God were not close. And the good news is in Psalm 32, he says, I confess my sin, I acknowledge my sin, and you came and loved me. God always wants to come and love us, but I want to tell you, we can't open the door by focusing on the wrong thing. And when we do, what should we do? We need to get help. We need to get help. We need to go to God for help. We need to get help from others. And and we need to say, we're just not going to live that way. Uh, The third thing David did, and, and I don't want to miss this one, He opened the door because he was passive. He opened the door because he was passive. Now, I'm I'm actually, I love the story, but I'm disappointed in one thing so far in the story. And that is they did not have the story in 2 Samuel 13 of Amnon and Tamar. Because this is vital to understanding everything that happened. And here's what happened is David had a son named Amnon and he had a beautiful daughter named Tamar. And and Tamar was the half and it was, it was the half-sister of Amnon. They had, a, they, they had the same father and a different mother. And, and so what happened is, is he, she was a beautiful girl and a godly girl and a wonderful girl. And Amnon, her brother, desired her and he tricks her into coming into his bedroom and he rapes her. And she cried out, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this to me. And he rapes her. She's raped, she's molested and raped by her own brother. And then she does what the law says. She tears her garments and goes out and acknowledges I've been defiled and David does nothing. This poor girl needs her dad and he does nothing. Amnon needs to be dealt with and he does nothing. He's just passive. Is it because of what he had done with Bathsheba and he didn't think he could act? Is it he didn't love his daughter? I don't know. He does nothing. And when he does, he opens the door to extreme devastation. And there are some of you here today that you have been hurt and your family ignored it. They just, it didn't happen. Or they didn't believe you. Or just you'll get over it. You'll be fine, and you're not okay. I just can't imagine this girl sitting there in her pain and agony, wishing for her dad, and he never comes. And here's the thing. I have lived long enough to watch other people feel that same pain. As horrible as the pain was, as hurtful as the pain was of what was inflicted upon them, it's taken to a new and devastating level when families will not acknowledge the sin that's there. And won't come and help. Very often it's sexual. 
But it's also beyond that. Some of you have a family and you're like, why are we living like this? Why won't we get honest about there's a problem here? This family member is drinking and acting out and no one will admit there's a problem. We get together on Thanksgiving and I look around and I can see there's no one's willing to confront it. The Bible, by the way, is so clear that if, if somebody hurts me, what am I supposed to do? Go to them. And by the way, if, if someone's in sin, what am I supposed to do? Go to them. You're never allowed to sit back and we can make all the excuses we want, but the minute we do, we've opened the door for the devastation and the hurt and the pain and, and for no healing to occur because God can restore and redeem. But, but when we don't do anything, we've created pain. And if you're here today, and I know there has to be some of you who are, and you have been betrayed like that, I want to say this to you. God can heal you. God will heal you. You don't need to or you should not allow what was done to you to, uh, and this is, I say this all the time, to dictate and define your life. You need to let God come and heal and bring a, 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 a victory there that you can't even imagine could happen and not let that be who you are. You may dream dreams about it still. You may have thoughts and you run from it. You may have built big walls to try to not think about it, but it's better to let God heal you. And by the way, I want to say this, and get help. Get help. Let God bring people around you who can help you. And we have lots of people around here who can do that. Don't live that way. And don't leave that door open. Uh, the fourth one. He opened the door when he did not offer grace and forgiveness. He opened the door when he did not offer grace and forgiveness. Now, by the way, forgiveness and grace isn't saying what was done was okay, but it's dealing with it in a healthy way. And, and what happened is Absalom, her, who's Tamar's brother, is so upset that nothing's being done. And by the way, I'm not trying to excuse Absalom, but I think if you didn't read the story and think this through, what would he, is he supposed to do? He has no ability or authority to act on Amnon. He, he can't put him in prison. He can't take away his inheritance. He can't put him through a discipline process. Only the king could do that. So he's left with no recourse in his mind, with his sisters hurting. Her father won't care. So what does he do? He kills Amnon. And then when he kills him, he flees. Now, by the way, see, now it's, uh, he, when David opened that door, tragedy now keeps ensuing. And if he had just shut it and dealt with it, we wouldn't have this. But Absalom flees away. And for a long period of time, David's missing Absalom and wanting to be with him. And then Joab, wanting to put an end to this, uh, gets the wise woman of Tekoa to go and talk with David and convince him to bring Absalom back. But he brings him back. And what does he do? He doesn't offer true grace and forgiveness. It says in 2 Samuel 14, 24, however the king said, let him, Absalom, turn to his own house and let him not see my face. And so Absalom turned to his own house and did not see his face. Do you see what he's doing again? We call this being passive aggressive. That you use your passivity to hurt somebody and inflict pain. You know what, you can be in my house, but I'm not going to talk to you. Okay, I know you're one of my kids, but I just want nothing to do with you. That, that sister of mine, she can come to Thanksgiving, but I'm not saying a word to her. Okay, I'm just going to sit. And you're going to see 
That's what David's doing, and it's not okay. It's not Christian. It's not biblical. It's not godly. And when you do that, you open the door. Why? Because bitterness begins to to take root and grow. And Absalom now is getting more bitter and more bitter. David's becoming hardened and more hardened. And and here's what happens. In the end, Absalom turns on David. And again, it's not okay he does it, but he betrays him and turns on him and attacks him, literally physically tries to kill him. And then when Absalom dies in the midst of this, now David's heart breaks and he starts crying for him, wishing for him, wanting for him, and it's too late. When he was alive, he didn't want to see him. When he's dead, he realizes what he's missing. And it takes him to a place that he can't imagine. He's literally heartbroken to his core. Why? Because he opened this door. He opened the door. And and God doesn't want you and I to do that. You see, David opened the door. And, and I want to have you think about this because I'm going to ask, are we going to barricade these and not let these dictate and define us anymore? See, David opened the door, number one, because he was hurt. And, and I want you to know that you and I can do the same thing. If we do not deal with hurt in a correct way by going to God and by dealing with it in a loving, caring way and, and confronting the situation with truth and kindness, what happens is we open the door to hurt. And when we open that, then, then we begin to be taken away from our relationship with God and living a godly life and having gladness and joy. Because this begins to define us and dictate us. And David, what did he do? He got hurt by Michael and he opened the door and started using sex as a weapon versus dealing with what he should. And you know, I want to tell you today, if you've opened the door to hurt, what should you do? Don't just ignore it. Don't act like you can just get over it. Go to God and get help from others. Get help from others. And you know what you need to do is shut this door and barricade it and not let it open again. But David, because he allowed this door to be open, he also opened this door. He opened it to lust. Uh, A lot of people open the door to lust by saying, well, you know what? I might as well. You know what? I'm just so unhappy. And we use it to bring some level of joy into our life. To try to get joy from something we should never get joy from. And think about things we shouldn't think about. And by the way, this one's a very dangerous one. Because once you start doing this, it's hard to turn it off. It can be turned off by the power of the Holy Spirit and by God. And help from others. I want to keep saying get help from others. But, but this one can take root and start to take over. And it starts tainting every area of your life. And God knows that. And and you don't have, by the way, you don't have to live this way. You can be freed from it. Even in a society like ours that seems to embrace it and enhance it, you can be freed from it. You can have that purity. But what do you need to do? You need to shut the door. Now, what's interesting, this wasn't done on purpose. Do you see how this is the one door that just doesn't want to stay shut? And we all said that. That's the Lord reminding us of how hard it is to shut this door. But because he lusted, what did he do? He opened the door to passivity. Now he won't deal with hurt and pain and conflicts in his life the way he should. And uh, I got to tell you, if you read scripture, the last thing that God says we can do is live this way. Isn't it interesting? The number one most used command is do not fear. And the number one reason people are passive is fear. We'd rather not deal with what needs to be dealt with to bring healing and love and care and, and by the way, in, in small ways, there's sometimes small ways, and in big ways, people get hurt. In David's life, they got hurt bad. But I want to tell you, no matter what the degree of hurt and pain is, opening this door is not healthy. 
It's not good. And by the way, you might ask, what do I do? You go to the God, follow his word, and get help. Get help. And, and, and we want to make sure we're a place that has this ability for us not to live this way. And so we want to shut this door and, and keep it shut. This door, do you see how it, something's oozing? You know why? Because if you open these doors, you're almost for sure going to open this one to bitterness. And it doesn't just stay inside, it oozes out. And, and in Hebrews 12, it warns us about the root of bitterness. I have been around people who are Christians that have allowed the root of bitterness to come in and they are not aware that it ends up growing and taking out every area of their life. The, the, the negativity, the lack of joy, not seeing the true fruit of the Holy Spirit. They don't have love, peace, joy, gentleness, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control. It just gets wiped out why there's this root. And God wants that all bitterness to gone. And if you think you could be bitter against one person or one thing and not have it affect your life, I want to warn you, it's not true. And, and we don't want to be bitter. If you're a husband and wife, you know, isn't it interesting? One of the commands of Scripture is husbands, don't be embittered against your wife. By the way, wives, don't be against your husband. Don't be against your children. Don't be against family. Love, care, forgive, redeem. Deal with it. But don't live like this. And David let bitterness take over in such a way that a whole, whole lot of people were hurt. Like that birds that are in my house, not innocent party after innocent party after innocent party gets hurt because of this. So what do you need to do? You and I need to shut the door and say, you know what? It's not going to be opened anymore. We need to get people to help us to put planks of cedar on this and bar this up and say no more. And, 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 and so we've, we can be freed from it. And we don't want to open the door like a man of God did. Now, by the way, the good news is David in the end comes back to God. David in the end seeks God. David in the end prays that incredible prayer in Psalm 51 and, and the rest of Psalm 32. And he finds God bringing back into his life joy and gladness. Here's my point. If you're here today and you've had some of these pains in your life, they don't have to stay that way. God does heal. God does redeem. God does help. God does care. And you can have all of that. Now, how, how do you get that? And by the way, I'm going to ask that from this point on, no one slip out. We just want to, I want this to be too important in a time for us to dig in. You see, we want to shut those doors, but what do we want to do? We want to open another one. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 says that Jesus is talking to us and says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone would open up to me, open up our hearts to him, open up our lives to him, he said, I will come in with you. He says that I, and he uses a Greek word, I will share an intimate time with you, a very real, rich time of intimacy and personal relationship. When he comes, he brings healing. When he comes, he brings cleansing. When he comes, he brings forgiveness. And if you're brand new to all this, and I want to tell you, God loves you. And in a moment, we're going to go to a time of prayer, and we're going to ask you, would you open the door? And you might say, how do I open that door? Here's the answer. You say, come in. You, you pray a prayer and say, Lord, come in. Come and give me cleansing and forgiveness and love and I want to open up to you. And I don't know how hurt you've been, but I want to tell you he can heal that hurt. I don't know how bad you've been, but he can transform you and forgive you and cleanse you so that's not you anymore. Because David doesn't end his life this way. 
And, and so I'm going to say today, if you're brand new, I hope you're going to pray this prayer. And it starts by praying the prayer. But by the way, then it goes to a next step where you take some action, which we'll talk about in a moment. And I know it's hard and scary to do that, but I'm going to ask you to do it. If you want this new life with God, get ready. The second is this. If you're here today and you're a Christian, and almost all of you who have been here very long know that Revelation 3 verse 20 was written to a church, written to Christians, saying, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. David had a relationship with God when he blew it. But what did he do? He opened the door to Jesus and, and the Savior, the Messiah he was looking to, and he recommitted himself to God. And today you may need to do the same thing. You might need to do that. And I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer with me. Today there may be some couples here who you need to pray this prayer together. I'm going to say this. I'm hoping there's some husbands who are going to be courageous enough and daring enough in this moment to take your wife's hand and say, we got to do this. Now, I don't know what she'll do. I hope she'll say yes, but I'm hoping some husbands will step up and say, we're going to do this together. Would you do this with, and you pray it together. So I'm going to lead a prayer, and then after that, I'm going to ask you to make a very visible step of action that if you've done this and really mean it. So let's pray right now. Father, I do pray and ask that your Holy Spirit who comforts us and loves us and heals us and empowers us would come right now in this room. And I pray, oh God, that you would touch any man or woman or guy or girl who needs this. It might be someone who's single, but they've started opening the door and it's time to confess this, find the cleansing and close it. It might be a couple who need to find that healing and hope in their marriage, Lord, and it can change. Today can change it. It might be someone who's been hurt by someone that should never have hurt them. And they've lived with this way too long. And no one did the right thing, but Lord, you can't now if they would open up to you. It may be someone today who's just had it and they're bitter. And everyone knows they don't have joy, but it's time to find it. And they can. So I pray right now you're going to touch anybody who needs to say yes to you. I ask, oh God, for your spirit to stir. I'm going to ask all of you who are believers right now, would you start praying? And I mean seriously, praying for those who need to make this step. They need to open their hearts. Pray for them. And right now, I'm going to lead the prayer. And if you want to open up to God, I'm going to ask you to speak it and say it with me. I'm going to ask you to whisper it right where you're at. And if you're a couple, maybe you need to do this together. But I'm going to ask you right now. I'm hoping God's touching you. And you're ready for his love. And you're ready for his healing. And you're ready for his cleansing. So let's pray this prayer. Just whisper these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me and to cleanse me from all my sin. To heal me from all my hurt and all my pain. And to free me. To free me from my past and from fear and from myself. And I know you want me to be yours. And you want me to be new. And you want me to live a brand new life. So I say yes. I say yes to you and I say yes to the life you have for me. And I open my heart to you. Please come in and fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit because I'm yours. 
And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer today, praise God. <laughs>